Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Spartan Spotlight. I'm here with my co-host Corey Robinson. Stephen Brooks will be joining us later as well. But right now, Corey, we're going to talk about the Penn State-Michigan State game from this past weekend, if you remember any of it. How are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, I definitely remember uh, pieces of it. Uh, I thought it was an entertaining game. I think the playing in that much snow was kind of uh, entertaining and something new because we usually don't see that kind of snow uh, in the season up here. So it almost felt like an NFL playoff game watching the Buffalo Bills play someone or something crazy like that. Yeah, I know. It's the snow was coming down and so originally the game started with two uh, quick Michigan State touchdowns and I came into the game thinking, "Oh, this is this is just going to be cold and snowy and they're going to be fumbling the ball all the time and we might be sitting at a 6-3 game going into the fourth quarter and it's going to be ugly and national media is going to be making jokes about how these $200 million combined uh, coaches are not able to muster a touchdown and have like eight combined turnovers. And uh, turned out that immediately it started much differently than I thought. Um, both offenses were pretty much fine with the snow, even though James Franklin, I guess, was worried about using the passing game too much in the snow. Sean Clifford seemed to handle it fine. And then uh, obviously Peyton Thorne uh, played really well. But uh, there was a lot of offense for for those conditions. And uh, I guess uh, it's a result that Michigan State fans uh, are happy that it turned out that way. Yeah, I thought too, like you, I thought it was going to be kind of ugly low scoring. And I didn't think we would see the the success each team had in the air. I thought it was going to be one of those run the ball, try to not fumble, just ugly, ugly maybe 10-7 wins it type of games. But uh, oddly enough, they both teams did seem to throw fine. And then the difference probably was that Michigan State was able to get a run game going with Kenneth Walker and even uh, uh, Eli Collins when he was out there to kind of complement that to, and control the clock a little. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was highly entertaining game. It was definitely different. I think uh, I kind of, in my head, I still don't know which way I'm leaning towards if it favored Michigan State or hurt them because, as you saw, it made running hard and Penn State can't run anyway, so that didn't really affect them. But then uh, passing, like, did did it slow Penn State down a little bit? Uh, probably a little, but Dotson and number three for them still kind of did their thing. So, I don't know. I guess we'll call it a, the weather was a split where down the road, I think, the weather obviously uh, favored Michigan more than Ohio State. But... Yeah, I think, yeah, I think uh, even uh, Peyton Thorne talked about it after the game. He said, throwing the ball wasn't hard in the snow. The ball boys did a good job. He said that it was planting and cutting. That was the issue. And uh, Kenneth Walker then chimed in and said that he couldn't get his footing going whatsoever. And the, yeah, the snow definitely killed uh, Michigan state's running game. Uh, Kenneth Walker wasn't able to plan a plan a foot and just take off. It was a lot of downhill North and South running. And that's not exactly what he's picked up all these stats from so yeah and he would have had that touchdown where he uh juked the guy and then kind of just slid four yards out of bounds where oh yeah that's a play that he's done a hundred times this year where he just plants that foot and yeah uh catches his balance and then takes off and scores a touchdown and then i think even the the long run he probably had taken that one too but you can't really uh yeah uh, run as fast there so yeah, yeah I think what he get about 150 yards rushing and a touchdown uh, but they probably I think in good conditions probably kind of got 250 on them which is pretty remarkable because Penn State's had a really good run defense all year outside of that Illinois game which yeah. was kind of an anomaly for them yeah but I think too going into it like how when we did the preview like I was probably between you, uh, Stephen, and me, I was the one to kind of point out that the Ohio State game, I gave them credit for what they did, but that was more of a uh, not the norm for Penn State this year. I thought they kind of have been underwhelming a lot of games this year, and I feel like that's kind of the Penn State we saw on Saturday again. It was uh, just what we saw every game this year outside of the Ohio State game where they really did show up and play a great game. Yeah, I think um, 
Yeah, back to the snow a little bit. Uh, yeah, it really snow, slowed down uh, Michigan State's uh, running game. But for Penn State, it really didn't slow anything down other than James Franklin's, um, <laughs> I guess, paranoia about the passing game in the snow. So, like, results-wise, they went as expected. They had a lot of success through the air, didn't have any ex- success on the ground. Um, but I guess – Penn State originally was planning to come in and pass the ball a ton and then kind of change that philosophy once they saw the snow. So yeah, it, the snow hurt Penn State, but like not in terms of actual results. It hurt them in terms of their game planning and thinking and they overthought it, um, but it actually hurt Michigan State on the field. So so I think, um, yeah, that, that kind of covers most of the overall uh, takeaways, but in terms of specifics that you saw from the game i know the, the first thing that stuck out to me is i think it was chris solari that tweeted out the actual stats um i think it was something like 11 for 17 with 170 yards and a touchdown on third down for peyton thorne and something i've just noticed the whole year from thorne is just that he almost seems more composed on third down than he does seem on like any regular play and uh really really impressive stuff i think yeah, I thought uh, definitely the third down plays. And then I guess, like, if you think back to some of how big some of those third down plays were, or even the fourth and 15 to read, like, it seemed like a lot of the best plays he made and Michigan State made were on that down. Uh, the the Harold Joyner catch and run on third and long, where that was a tough catch to make, especially in the conditions. And then he turned up and he was the one guy that was able to find traction apparently for a moment. Uh, I think, I think the Montori Foster one-hander and then uh, a lot of the damage that Connor Hayward did was on third downs too. Uh, So he, he really spread the ball around on the third downs. Uh, Jaden Reed, of course, his favorite target got some of them, but to me, I think we just keep seeing Thorne grow each week and now I think he's over 3,000 yards of total offense already with the bowl game coming up so he he's got a shot to make a run at the single season record for most uh, total yards from scrimmage uh, from in Michigan State history and year one as a starter so definitely shows a lot of uh, a lot of bright things coming in the future for him I think next year being the second year guy and settling in even more there was concern whether or not he would play. Um, I know Naylor kind of having his injury, but like practicing a little bit and then also traveling with the team to Ohio State seemed like he might be more able to play considering Reed had just pulled his hamstring um, at, in the Ohio State game in the second half and didn't return. But Or maybe it was a hamstring or ankle, but he was limping, I think. And then uh, to see him suit up and then also play that well was very impressive. Yeah, I thought, uh, too, like Kenneth Walker, uh, I know you were up in the press box, so you didn't get to hear uh, the broadcast, but they had said that Jaden Reed and Kenneth Walker didn't practice until Friday, Friday's practice, and that was a really light walkthrough practice, so it wasn't really a thing, and I almost thought for Walker, particularly, I think that's probably the the best thing that could have happened, because you looked at him, and I mean, obviously you couldn't see him do his normal stuff, but he just looked healthier. You didn't see him favoring the ankle, which uh, in a game that's slippery like that uh, is huge. So maybe he got, he got the, what he needed was a week off and he got that and looked re-energized. And then the the team, like you said, uh, I think Kevin Jarvis, JD Duplain and a couple of offensive linemen also, missed pretty much the entire week with flu symptoms too so you give a the guys credit for pushing through and getting out there and then putting in a, a great performance on the field as well and not just uh showing up and looking uh looking like crap frankly but uh you know and, and I liked too uh I don't know if you got the chance to see is like a lot of the players after the game playing in the snow throwing snowballs uh snow angels all that stuff and a lot of those guys from the south that's probably the first time most of them have ever played in snow so that that was kind of fun to see a good way for the season regular season to end as a team and just watching them go out there and have fun they're really loose too they they weren't tight after coming off of that 
that bad game against Ohio State. Yeah, I know. Uh, I that I saw those videos on Twitter and Kenneth Walker doing snow angels and, and that was cool. But no, Stephen and I had to run down and uh, see what Mel Tucker had to say. And they had uh, Jaden Reed, they had uh, Peyton Thorne, Kenneth Walker, Xavier Henderson, I think uh, down there. Uh, I know Henderson, uh, we were talking about this earlier, him not being on that edit kind of maybe leaves it a little open that he might come back next year. Uh, I, I know that at media day, he basically, basically, uh, all but declared that he was leaving and was saying that he's planning for this to be his last year, but I guess maybe things have changed there or I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think Michigan state is planning for Walker to be gone and obviously, uh, that they'll make it work if he for some yeah. reason wanted to Wa- come no back. No way Walker would and no then, way Walker uh, should come back. For for Reed, yeah, like you're saying, uh we kind of talked about it before and yeah. we're kind of we could see either way being the right decision for him. For Reed, uh, yeah. if he wanted to come back and try to have a an all American season, which he's certainly capable of. Like I I wouldn't blame him come back uh one more year with Peyton Thorne, who most of you may have heard they've no, they've been playing together since middle school and then uh I think he could improve his stock a little bit but I don't see his stock dropping but at the same point if he wanted to say this is my final year here I think he's shown enough he'll test well he'll have a good 40 time uh he's versatile which the NFL loves because he can uh make be an impact player as a special teams guy kick returner and then obviously a pass uh pass catcher he makes a a lot of plays there so I think he's a guy that would have a pretty uh long NFL career I don't know if that he'd be a superstar by any means but you put him in the slot in the NFL he's a guy that could uh make a lot of uh a lot of yards underneath and get the the yards after catch I think and then Kind of Naylor, we were talking about how he could show that he has some more route running capabilities than he's shown this year. I know he has that go route that he's kind of mastered and he's lethal with that because of a straight line speed, but the intermediate and short passing game, I would like to see um, more separation there. But like Reed, he's a guy that has shown pretty much every, every facet that you would want from a receiver. I still don't know if he um gets drafted as high as Michigan State fans would like but he, there's not a ton he can come and change um even though there are some things like you were saying but there's there's much more of a gap between current uh talent and potential for Naylor than there is for Reed so yeah. I, th- I think for Reed maybe it's maybe be a little more consistent with the hands he dropped a few balls that he shouldn't have and he'd be the first one to tell you and then uh Naylor like you said right now he's more of an athlete than uh a total package wide receiver uh he's another guy though I think he'll test well if he decided to go which helps uh and uh, another guy that could star as a special teams guy uh gunner and and a punt returner kick returner type of guy and then same thing, you get him to go on those deep routes or crossers and see if he can make plays. But I think uh, he would be well served to come back and kind of refine those skills under Courtney Hawkins, where you've seen him take the steps, but he's still not that complete package that you need him to be yet, in my mind. That pretty much recaps most of the Penn State segment of things and some of these little offseason decisions that... I guess people started to think about a little bit when the game started to end and even just coming into the game. But overall, it was a good game. Michigan State got their 10th win. It was uh, something that the uh, Spartans uh, haven't done since 2015. So lots of success this year. And uh, we'll talk about some of that uh, with Steven here in the next segment. So stay tuned. All right, guys, we're back here for the next segment of today's episode of the Spartan Spotlight. Uh, now, Stephen Brooks is joining us. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Um, I'll be fully honest and transparent. I forgot uh, that the All Big Ten team, half of it was coming out today. So I'm still uh, pouring over that right now yeah. and seeing who got what and everything. But uh, yeah, no, I'm doing well, though. Um, it's, it's weird. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but this this whole season has like flown by to me. Oh, yeah. And I think that's obviously probably a 
a product of Michigan State winning and in that first, you know, those first eight games were just a just uh women at warp, at warp speed at least for me so um it's weird that this is all like coming to a head now and we're going to be talking bowl games soon and heisman and all sorts of other awards it's it's just uh it's all hitting yeah. too fast man no i agree yeah, that's, that's, that's my yeah. thought too <laughs> it's like I, I was thinking after the penn state game uh i'm like i just remember it feels like it was just yesterday that uh i was getting sunburned at the youngstown game or uh hanging <laughs> out uh uh, with the tailgates and stuff with Justin on the Nebraska game uh, and how hot it was that day before we went up to the booth. And uh, now we, you end the season that quickly in the snow. Yeah, the, the first seven weeks feel like a blur. Yes. The Michigan game was like its own week, its own like month. And then November itself has felt really long. And it's, again, that's probably just a correlation to what's been going on with the program and everything. But that's how it feels to me. It was super quick. Michigan was like its own holiday, you know, its own its own little deal. And then November has been real long and, and stretched out here. Yeah, this this is definitely the same sentiments that I have been feeling for most of the year because it didn't seem uh, like a past season where you can feel the season going by and you're like, okay, a few more weeks left and then the season's going to be over. This year it's just like, wow, we're, we're in week 11? Where, where did the time go? So definitely echo those sentiments and it's it's definitely part of the uh michigan state success and weeks seem to fly by and you look ex- you're excited for game days and uh definitely streamlined the whole season but uh so i guess uh speaking of the way the season went uh the big 10 median coaches uh must be pretty impressed with how it went for michigan state because mel tucker was just named uh the big 10 coach of the year i don't think there was uh, any surprise there um i guess did you guys really think that anybody else could win it? I, I know uh, Jim Harbaugh had a good season, uh, but what are your thoughts on this? Pretty expected? Uh, yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. I, I, I ahead, expected Cora. it. Uh, like, you could turn around Michigan State that quickly. I think getting the 10th win was huge for yeah. Mel. I think had he came off of that bad Ohio state game and then lost to Penn state. Maybe he would have lost some steam, but still probably was probably the front runner for me, but uh, to, to get 10 wins in year two here after the two and five COVID year. And just, I mean, anybody that watches this team can see that they're still lacking talent and a lot of what's getting a lot of the successes that they're maximizing the the abilities of guys that they have on the roster and that's perfect uh for the coach of the year thing because that's exactly what it's about is the coaches have maximized the the talent of this year's team to get to 10 wins 100 agree with that um yeah I, I thought you know the only other person i could think that would have had a chance was jim harbaugh and obviously he's a hot name right now and everything and i don't know when the when the voting uh, came in and everything, I would assume obviously after the, the regular season, but uh, how long after and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for me, Mel Tucker was definitely the front runner. I didn't have a vote or anything, but, but that's who I would have voted for. Uh, you got to remember, of I mean, we all do, of course, I'm sure our listeners here do, but um, I mean, this, this was a team that was picked by Vegas, uh, you know, with a four and a half win total um, over under and the, the media, um, the unofficial media poll, you know, they were picked dead last in the big 10 East. So uh, absolutely. And, you know, like Corey said, it's about coaching, you know, and I appreciate that aspect of it. And it seems like that's, that's what was rewarded this year. When you look at obviously the, the roster renovation and what they had to do there, um, just the significant leaps and bounds from last year. And just in terms of the product you're seeing, and like Corey said, I mean, there's, they've squeezed absolutely all the juice out of this roster and this team. So uh, yeah, well-deserved, no doubt for me. Yeah. For me, it was, it was pretty much clear cut. Um, I would say that, uh, Jim Harbaugh beating Ohio State um, gave him probably some worthy consideration for a second before people submitted the ballots. But if you uh, look at uh, what you were saying, they're projected to finish last uh, in the preseason poll um, and are finishing with 10 wins. You just cannot give it to somebody that has defied expectations uh, some to somebody other than who defied expectations like that. So uh, as a result, pretty much as expected. And uh I would also say um, that this kind of should clinch that Mel Tuck would win at least one of the National Coach of the Year awards because 
thinking outside of the Big Ten footprint, what would you kind of say, uh, I guess, Stephen, we'll start with you. What would you say is another coaching performance that would either sandwich between or even rise above the Mel Tucker and Jim Harbaugh coaching performances this year? Because for me, I would say those two might be my top two coaching performances. Right. Yeah. I was, yeah. I mean, I think Harbaugh deserves a, a lot of credit for what he's done this year. And, and um, I, I didn't know, I didn't, I obviously did not see this coming at all. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, had, I was not very high on them in the preseason with what they yep. lost and everything. So yeah. Uh, I mean, Dave Clawson, maybe. That's true. Um, shoot. Pat Narduzzi, I think you could throw in the, I mean, these are guys that, you know, I could throw in the hat, but, but I, I agree that they're in a different level than, than, than Mel and um, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, and, and Luke Fickle too, though, to be honest. I mean, he, he came in with hype and everything. Obviously, he's got a track record, but but they've delivered. You know, so if they were to go undefeated, I think you'd have to at least throw a look his way. I guess Mike Gundy even. Um, but yeah, I, I still, again, I think there's there's some separation in all those names I just listed and, and yeah. the two guys we got in this state. Yeah, that would be my top five. I just think that winning the Big Ten East uh, should elevate Harbaugh above um, all of those guys that you listed. And then Tucker, we've already we've already said why that's so ridiculously impressive. So, but yeah, that's that's a very thorough, comprehensive top five list right there. I think uh, Clawson and Mike Gundy. I, I don't know where they were ranked in their preseason polls, but I don't know if they were expected to be playing for conference titles this Saturday. So a lot of praise to them. Oh, Pat Narduzzi as well, but. Um, Luke Fickle. Yeah, for sure. You cannot fault somebody for having too much consistent success. Like if Luke Fickle was five and seven last year and suddenly was 12 and oh this year, he'd probably get more praise, but that's not exactly the best way of looking at it. So yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of contenders, but I would say that, that I'm feeling pretty good about Mel Tucker's chances to win, um, one of the coach of the year awards. Corey, anything to add there? Yeah, I think I was kind of leaning uh, Gundy was the name that was kind of popping out to me that maybe could be there. Uh, Narduzzi is there, but I don't think he did. He didn't even do better than Michigan State, and he's been there a while, so I wouldn't go with him. And then, uh, like, I'm the anti-group of five guy, so Fickle gets zero love from me. Uh, I think think that if they do make the playoffs – We'll find out why they shouldn't have, but uh, that that's the the one spot I'm old school in is the the power fives need to be in the playoffs <laughs> to me. But but maybe maybe he'll take a power five job down the road so he can be in the running. <laughs> maybe by the time this podcast comes yeah. out, I mean, the way <laughs> things are moving, <laughs> quite possibly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say with Fickle though, he came in with they, like he's backed up. He had pressure on him this year. Like everybody knew right. they had to be perfect this year. They had to do it if they were going to do it, and they. So far, they are. So I think there's something to that, at least. You know, they didn't just yeah. come out of nowhere and catch everybody sleeping. Like, they had a huge target on them this all is, the way yeah. through. And this is true. And so there's, there's something to yeah. that. I was listening one. to the College Football Inquirer podcast, and Pete uh, Pete Thamel was saying in that podcast that he was talking to Mike Tressel, who's now the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, um, a couple weeks ago. I think it was right after week 10. And Tressel had said that our last four opponents that have played us have thrown out every single thing about their identity and the way they play their uh, offensive schemes and have just tried to come in here and muddy these games up, do stuff that even they're not comfortable with just to try to come in with an element of surprise. And that did lead to Cincinnati having some games where they didn't cover where they won by maybe 10 points, seven points, 13 points, where they usually win by more because people were just trying to play spoiler and even getting out of their own comfort zone to try to make Cincinnati uncomfortable. So some pretty yeah, interesting but, stuff. But I, I guess my, my thought process though, is like, if you look at Michigan state, Ohio state, uh, someone in the sec, it's not only like for Michigan state, we'll go with them since we're a Michigan state podcast. It's not only having to play Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan, and Iowa, some of those teams, but having to show up every single week to a Purdue, which obviously Michigan state didn't, uh, Indiana played people tough. Nebraska found a way to lose every game, but have the same points scored and against and big 10 play. Uh, so I think like having to grind out, even like the bad teams can make it tough up in the power five where Cincinnati, they had a lot of Youngstown weeks on their schedule in my mind, like where you had to obviously show up for Notre Dame and then maybe a couple more 
like two games on your schedule you probably had to show up for or the rest of them you could literally just walk off the bus and you're a lot better than your talent that you're yeah. up against all right so but that's my that's yeah. my end of me killing the g5 <laughs> so um i guess now we'll talk uh transfer portal because uh, that's one of the most exciting things in the off season and it kind of hit full swing here in the past couple of days I know quite a few people entered on Sunday. Lots of people uh, entered on Monday. Michigan State um, finally had the public announcement from Jalen Berger, who's been silently committed since he visited uh, Michigan State for the basketball and football game a couple weeks ago. And this is uh, an announcement that uh, obviously signals the departure of Kenneth Walker. I would say I, I cannot imagine him coming back, having any reason to come back. And I think this basically uh, finalizes that. But I know uh, I've kind of talked about my thoughts on Jalen Berger quite extensively. And of course, we talked about him in a previous podcast. So I guess Stephen will let you start off. What do you think about Jalen Berger? What do you think about this pickup? Uh, I, I like the player. Um, I like that he's younger. You know, he's got some some runway ahead of him and everything. Uh, I like that aspect. Uh, I liked him coming out of high school. Um, wasn't, you know, head over heels or anything, but I thought he was a good player for sure. Um, he, he's an interesting style. He's not, he's obviously not Kenneth Walker in style. Um, you know, I, th- I think you've uh, hit the nail on the head in some of the things you said in terms of like um, very good in terms of following the play, you know, and getting what's, what's there for him. Um, but maybe not a game breaker, you know, in, in the sense that Walker is. And again, that's just one of the many differences mm-hmm. sort of in their style. So uh, I think he's a guy that can come in and, and definitely compete right away. Um, I don't know if he'll be your workhorse type, you know, because um, and, and, you know, this is probably a whole nother day's uh, discussion. But I'm still I'm still hoarding uh, any Elijah Collins stock out there and, and ready to sell high next year. I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still I still got a lot of belief in him. I, I think mm-hmm. there's still a lot left in the tank there. Um, yeah. So, so but it's going to be a tag team thing for sure. I just think uh, it's interesting that, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Gibbs uh, from Georgia Tech here, I'm sure, too. But, um, you know, that, that they got him so quickly. And like you said, I'm sure it signals that Walker's gone. I, don't, I wouldn't expect anything different there. Um, but it's like the, who knows who else is going is to pop in there, you know. So they kind of kind of checked off a box real quickly there. I'm wondering where else this leads them. Would, you know, could they get another guy? Would they get another guy? What does that do for 22? What does that do for 23? So, so, so the domino effect basically is the most interesting thing to it for me. Cause I just, um, I like him good pickup. Like I said, I don't know if he comes right in as a, as a star, your workhorse right away, but maybe could be that down the line could, could, could contribute, could be a committee rotation guy for you this year or 50, 50, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but, but like I said, more, more interesting to me is sort of the domino effect of where else they could go at that position yeah. after this. Yeah. That's what I noticed too, is, uh, in 2020, is honestly I throw 21 out because after even the first game of 2021 he had the 15 carries it seems like Wisconsin capped him at 15 carries for whatever reason it's amazing that he uh would finish at 15 carries like his almost like his plan so uh I think the rotation of him and Eli Collins who I'm with Steven I I think he's still a, a good player uh even the little bit he's played this year, you're seeing the things that you remember from a couple years ago uh, prior to him having the COVID in 2020. So I think both two could be a good tag team. And then as far as Berger, uh, 2020, he averaged, I think it was like over five yards a carry, five and a half yards a carry as a true freshman uh, against uh, Big Ten teams. They played Michigan, Indiana, and Northwestern and that was the year that Indiana and Northwestern were both good uh he averaged six yards of carry uh in Big Ten play so I think he's definitely a guy that is a caliber of a, a Big Ten starting back a, an upper echelon Big Ten team starting running back but I, I do think uh that it would serve Michigan State to uh kind of tag team with him maybe keep him at those 15 carries where he can run hard and uh, give the ball to Eli Collins or potentially uh, another transfer portal guy that they may add or a guy in 22. Yeah. But also I wanted to add, I don't know if you guys knew uh, he has four years of uh, playing eligibility mm-hmm. left burger does. So. Yeah. So uh, I guess, yeah, we've talked about what kind of player he is and 
now I kind of want to go back and maybe correct my original stance on, on some of this because so my original take was he's a running back that can help you win games in the big 10 conference. He's a good pickup, somebody they should get, but I didn't like the idea of them doing it um, before maybe maximizing their, the reputation they'll have from, from Kenneth Walker sitting in New York and having that montage play or just maybe before seeing who else entered the portal. However, now that criticism is not valid anymore since it sounds like Michigan State will be um, continuing to look for the best available players, even if that's a second running back in the portal. So my biggest sort of criticism of the pickup is kind of washed out. So like this pickup, uh, with that in mind, think that Berger's a guy that can help you in games, like I was saying. So anytime you have a guy like that, that averaged uh, over five or over six yards per carry in the Big Ten, that's a guy that you want on your team if you can get him. And uh, yeah, I also agree with Steven that I think Elijah Collins uh, has some juice left in him. Uh, He's a guy that if he stays healthy, I think he can split carries with Berger and you have a very formidable running back room. But if if you're kind of banking on Elijah Collins as being our, our running back one, despite not being healthy the past couple of years, that's also not the move. So that's why the pickup makes sense. If you can get something out of Collins alongside Berger, that's much safer than not trying to replace Walker uh, through the portal. So it makes sense, but kind of speaking to that, continuing to look in the portal philosophy uh, yesterday, Clint Brewster reported that Michigan state would still be targeting Jameer Gibbs uh, who entered the portal from Georgia tech. Uh, I was able to go ahead and confirm that and post in my thoughts uh, on the Spartan tailgate. Uh, I'll let you guys weigh in too. I don't know if you've had the chance to watch him yet. Probably not since it's new, but I, this is just, this is the guy that I'm attaching my name to as the guy that in the running backs out of the running backs in the portal, he's the guy that you're going to be hearing about on Saturdays next year. I know everyone wants Zachary Evans from TCU and he's a great talent too. I think he could play in the NFL if he gets some, uh, some of his decision-making straightened out and things of that nature. But Jameer Gibbs, um, I'm telling you right now, he's, he's going to be the guy next year in college football, whether he goes to Alabama, like it's, it's sounding like, or whether William Piegler can pull off a miracle and he comes to Michigan state, but that is a guy that has burst. He plays like several speeds above the rest of the guys on the field. He has obviously agility. Uh, he's a little guy. He's springy. And then in the passing game, he was pro football Focus's highest ranked receiving running back. So he has it all. Uh, we'll be interested to see where he goes. And regardless of where he goes, my opinion of him is very high. Yeah. For me, I think uh, he gives you the home run element that you saw with uh Kenneth Walker this year uh difference being he doesn't have the same power Kenneth Walker has to kind of run through those things so uh Michigan State would have to get him out in space or at least block well enough to let him hit that that next gear that he has uh but yeah I'm with you I think putting him with uh Jalen Berger or Eli Collins someone like that would actually be the perfect combo of that that thunder lightning mix that you see uh all over the place uh michigan and many other places that kind of go with that thing so for michigan state to add someone like that who would uh improve the team speed on offense too which is something that they're always looking to do uh i think that would be a huge pickup i've been able to watch a little bit of his tape but not as extensively uh, as i did with Berger because we had known that was happening for for uh over a month uh so yeah I guess like for me I'm with you I think he's gonna be a dynamic player the question is is it at Michigan State Alabama or somewhere else yeah Steven anything you want to add yeah no I, I like him a lot um I think he's probably from from like you said the portal guys I mean I, I still think Evans is a more talented player right. but I get that there's you know, he's kind of got some baggage and everything, but he Gibbs would be right in that next level for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and unless like a Bijan Robinson or somebody like that enters, yeah. I mean, he might be the best. Bijan. He might be the best available yeah. option out there, other than Evans. So, um, absolutely, I like him. Like you said, I, I, the the thing that absolutely sticks out is the passing game, and yeah. that for as great as Kenneth Walker is, that's not really right. not really anything we've seen much from him. Um, and, you know, the, the little that we have seen has just kind of been okay, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's so fabulous in, in other ways. It's, I'm not 
I'm not trying to, to ding the guy at all, but it's just, it's again, we haven't seen it much and it's just kind of been okay. You know, when we have, uh, he's got some of, um, I think he accelerates like Kenneth Walker. I don't think he has the, the open field, uh, shiftiness sort of in, in the way Kenneth Walker does definitely not the speed, like Corey said, but he does have like a good feel for space and like how to, how to use it, how to set people up, how to create more of it. Like he, he, he just navigates the field. Well, um, and that's, I guess it sounds like I'm talking about a basketball player here, like stretching the floor and all that, but like, yeah, that's kind of one of the vibes that I got watching him. Um, I didn't watch him super long. Like, uh, apparently the, like Justin was telling me earlier, uh, for folks that might be interested, there's, there's a tape out there of every touch he had or something last year. I didn't see all of that, but, uh, really impressive guy. I, I do think he probably needs, uh, he would need, a would need good blocking. Of course, you know, like any back does, but I mean, Kenneth Walker really didn't every single play. You didn't need to block it up perfectly for Kenneth Walker. You could, you could make some stuff happen. He could make a mess. You know, he could, he could turn something, he could turn a mess into something positive. Um, I don't think Gibbs has as much of that. So, so you'd want a better offensive line probably in front of him. But again, that's, that's 98% of running backs. Yeah. Yeah. And to clarify, I, I was saying that Berger has a YouTube video where it's every single snap of his. Oh, all right. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah, folks. Yeah. Sorry, disappointing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, if if you kind of look up um, uh, Jameer Gibbs on YouTube, there's plenty of videos there as well. So, but the the whole the whole reason that this is promising news, even if Michigan State doesn't get him, is that no longer does Berger's addition mean that, oh, now Michigan State has kind of pigeonholed themselves into the first running back they liked. If they if they have another running back that they like, they can get him now if they want. So that's kind of the, the best part about this whole thing. And, uh, but yeah, so it, it sounds like uh, Alabama kind of had this thing uh, wrapped up maybe before he even hit the portal. I don't, I don't know exactly the timing, but that's kind of what some of the chatter is leaning towards. Um, after, after Alabama got Jameson Williams last year, uh, the way that they did, I know this would be a second a straight off season where Michigan State kind of identified a guy they really liked that ended up going to Alabama if that's the way it plays out. But one day, maybe Michigan State will get to the point where they um, aren't losing these battles. But right now, it's just impressive to see them going toe-to-toe, um, identifying the same talented guys that Alabama is also seeing as fits for their for their program. And uh, this is a lot of credit to Piegler here. That Within an hour of him publicly landing Berger, he was already looking at and going after somebody that is uh, at the same position, somebody that one of the powerhouse in college football are after. So a lot of credit to him, a lot of credit to the staff for just the mentality that this shows, whether they get him or not. Yeah. And uh, so I think it was funny too, it was like last year when they were doing uh, interviews with like coaches and transfer portal and the effect it is. And most of them were uh, unnamed coaches or saying things where Saban put his name on it. And his like, oh, I think it's good, but my main concern is like all the tampering that's going on while he is doing that with Jamison Williams <laughs> at the time he made that comment. But but it's funny to see uh see how some people handle the things that they're they're themselves are doing. But uh yeah, I think I think it's the same situation there, but now Michigan State's looking for a different result to see. Cause they, they honestly made a they almost made up that ground with Jamison Williams despite that last year too. So year two, uh, 10 win season, a lot more momentum going. Maybe they can uh, get over the hump with, uh, with Gibbs this time instead. Yep. All right. So now I guess just taking a bigger picture view of the transfer portal, uh, not really any guys that Michigan state is zeroing in on right now, other than Gibbs, at least that is, kind of publicly out there at least that that we would know of but the portal kind of works a little differently than high school recruiting for those that don't know coaches are much more secretive the players themselves don't care about talking to media and getting um attention that way so most of this stuff happens in a very very short time and behind the scenes so one day michigan state could be targeting um a a random kid say an outside linebacker and then uh, somebody that they like more enters the portal and some guy that you thought Michigan state was going to land is suddenly of no interest to them uh, because another outside linebacker has entered the portal. So that's kind of how these things go. 
a lot of things that just change by the minute, change by the day. Um, and not a lot of stuff that gets leaked beyond the coach and player that are involved. So that's just kind of the, the overall dynamic of, of reporting on the portal. So you won't hear as many concrete uh, tidbits as you do from us with high school recruiting, but there are still ways to kind of just track which way the, the smoke is blowing. But looking across the board in terms of portal needs, uh, Stephen, you can go first. What, do you, what would you like to see Michigan State do in terms of their blueprint from how they want to use their spots from the portal? Sure, yeah. And just to build off what you said, hopefully, I would think for just for the players' sake that this year maybe things are a little slower <laughs> because they can actually take yeah. visits, you know, to these places that they're right. going. And if it's their second chance, third chance, whatever, you know, in terms of uh, schools, um, you just hope that they could actually go check these places out. And obviously Jalen Berger was here for a basketball yeah, game. Point. Thing, so hopefully that works out for them, uh, you know, as they try to find find the right fit. In terms of the positions for Michigan State, for me, I've I got to start with defensive end. And uh, I mean, there's a number of them. I really don't think other than maybe quarterback, there's really not a position you could say that I would disagree with. But number one on my list, I think, would be defensive end. Uh and I get that's hard, though, because, like, if you're a good one, you're not leaving. <laughs> you know, like, it's very it's it's very rare that there's this uh, there's this really sweet pass rusher just sitting sitting collecting dust on the shelf somewhere. You know, like that just doesn't really happen. Uh, so maybe you got to get creative, you know, like with a tank brown and, and see something that that see something down the road. And, and then they moved him down to end here once they got him. You know, I don't think they recruited him with that plan. But again, you got to get creative. So I just think they need more juice off the edge. You know, I mean, the, the, there's the PFF numbers and there's this and that. I mean, anecdotally to my eye and, you know, maybe this makes me sound like a Neanderthal, but like I, I just I didn't think they had nearly enough consistent juice off the edge in terms of being a pass rush uh, defensive line. So that would be my biggest one. But uh, tackle is going to be a huge one too. corner obviously has to be a massive uh, you know, need, I would think, uh, maybe even safety as well. Could always use some linebackers, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Those would kind of cover it in terms of my main ones. But like I said, just about anything other than quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I could I could sign off on. Yeah. Corey? Um, yeah, I think so. With Berger, we have six spots, maybe seven spots, I believe, uh, to add portal people. I think, and with Steven, like defensive end, you, you can't add less than one there. I'd prefer to, honestly because they need to fix that but then it comes down to you don't want to take it just to take it the guys got to be good and be able to make a positive impact uh offensive tackle I think they got to take one there uh you got the uncertainty with uh what's going on with horse if he's gonna be back or not uh and then our curry graduating uh and then with them playing uh what's his name Kevin Jarvis taking him from the guard out to tackle that tells you they're not real comfortable with the current guys they have on their roster at tackle. Uh, obviously an off season that can change for a guy like Spencer Brown, who started to see the field or the true freshman, Ethan Boyd, uh, Brandon Baldwin, maybe they, they come of age uh, and are ready, but it's not something I, I would comfortably want to bank on. Uh, at this moment like if they go there and they win the job over someone that's great but uh, I would add a offensive tackle in the portal for sure I think you need to uh, try and get a cornerback that can kind of lock down that that uh, cornerback one spot because I I think Lowry Ronald Williams and Brantley I think those guys are all good enough to be like that two three type of guy uh, if they tighten up some things and maybe change scheme around a little, but I do think they need to have that, uh, that cornerback that you can count on that maybe went to a school like Alabama or LSU or something like that, where it wasn't necessarily that they weren't good. It's just that it's a school that brings in uh, top talent every single year. Um, and then after that, I think it's just kind of best player available stuff. Like if you, could get Gibbs as a second running back, then you do that. Uh, if you see a wide receiver that maybe brings a different skill set than you have on the roster, you could do that easily. I, I feel okay with tight end, honestly, even though we didn't see a lot from the position this year. I do think uh, Malik Carr and Jack Nickel and uh, a couple guys will be able to solidify that next year. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I linebacker, think, you might yeah. need a need there. I don't but yeah. yeah. Might might need one one guy there depending on how things play out. But I think tight end um is like I agree, like you're saying, that's solid. I would uh hope Malik Carr uh learns blocking um to a little higher extent by next off season, by next season. And then I'm I'm confident that Jack Nickel can come in and play as a freshman, especially since he'll be early enrolling. So tight end's good. I would like to see them take two tackles, two defensive ends, a cornerback one, so that um, Brantley and maybe Ronald Williams, if he comes back, can battle for the other other side, the cornerback two spot, and then a safety, um, another running back, and maybe a linebacker. I think that would put a put us at seven. Uh, I think they'll have seven spots, maybe eight if they can backdate one. Uh, somebody said they could backdate one or two. Uh, depending on uh, exactly how those loopholes kind of work. But I think we're looking at like seven spots, maybe eight. So that, that kind of puts it in that range. Uh, but yeah, need need non-projects at tackle and defensive end. Uh, I know last, last offseason when they were able to have way more slots, they were able to take some redshirt <clears throat> freshmen. Um, Marky Lowry actually panned out much better than they thought. He's actually somebody that I should have mentioned when I said battling for that cornerback two spot. Um, but yeah, they have uh, they have less spots this off season, uh, and that's that should maybe yield them to maybe not take as many projects as last year. Um, even though that was a good idea for last year because it was essentially you were getting high school recruits is the way that I looked at it. But this year, I would like to see some more um, at least at at least at the defensive end and offensive tackle position. You need guys you can plug in and play immediately. Um, maybe they land uh, Goodwin and Spencer Brown is good enough at right tackle and then Goodwin's your left tackle and maybe that's good enough. But ideally, ideally, I would like, even in that scenario, I would want one proven offensive tackle. Um, but Yeah, because even if you uh, get too many tackles, this roster can, always can never, never have that. Yeah, and you can just no slide one of them inside tackles. the guard. So yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I think uh, they've got to be... You know, I'm sure you guys agree. They're, they're just – they've got to be so much more attractive, you know, when they're right. out there in the portal shopping this year. And obviously last year worked pretty well for the most part. I got a ton of guys, and I think we all felt good about a lot of those guys. But this year – and I don't – I even think, like, the, the tr- success with transfer thing, I think is kind of overblown. Like, you're just – you're going to get coached. You don't get coached any different if you're a transfer. Like, yeah. Yeah, like I don't know if that does it, but it's just their success. That's yeah. all – period. That's where it is. It's like, oh, my gosh, Michigan State's winning. They're winning big now. Uh, this Mel Tucker dude, really interesting. Kind of like him. What's that all about? You know, if, if he called me, I'd be interested. Yeah. yeah. And then, like you mentioned, too. Yeah, yeah, way more of that now than there was a year ago when he was like, hey, I'm Mel Tucker. And they're like, who's this? What now? <laughs> you know, uh, which one are you? What's cool? Yeah. Um, and, so- and like you mentioned, too we can uh or the coaches they uh have that ability now where they can uh get them on campus to mm-hmm. to really yeah. have an official visit and sell right. them more where last year you're basically selling a dream without a lot of vision to it yeah exactly. and one thing i kind of want to emphasize because just like on the message words on twitter anytime somebody enters the portal from alabama or clemson and didn't see the field people are more excited about that than a tweet that says so-and-so has entered the portal after 25 career starts in the Sun Belt, something like that. So yeah. personally, I would advise um, advise you to maybe base your excitement less on where the kid is coming from and what it, versus what his track record is because chances are a kid that started a season or two in a group of five conference will probably be a better instant uh, impact guy than a guy that only played special teams or didn't even see the field at these powerhouses. So maybe start tailoring uh, like mentally what you look for in these tweets when you get excited, but I get it. They went to Alabama. They're probably a four or five star had offers from everybody, but some of these guys, they don't, it's, they don't really translate to the next level the way that you would think and a change in scenery alone usually is not always the answer. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think I, I remember I sent you uh, some portal edition guy uh, from, I think he was like Fresno or somewhere out there as a linebacker that had like yep. 300 something career set, uh, tackles, a bunch of tackles for losses. I'm like, oh, I've never seen him, but his measurables and yep. his stats <laughs> tell me that he can probably play the game. Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, definitely. Uh, 
search that. And I think we're seeing a lot more of those FCS typo kids that were really good players there making that jump just so they can put it on tape that uh, they can play at the power five level. Yeah. But I would just say do your homework, you know, there's, there's always a reason, you know, it's, and there's, it's, it's, it's the whole spectrum, you know, sometimes the kid was just behind a first round pick. Sometimes Mm -hmm. he just wasn't good enough. Sometimes he was hurt. You know, uh, sometimes the competition was terrible and this or that. Any, there's any reason under the sun. And, yeah. I mean, you got Kenneth Walker split in time. You got Ronald Williams was running with the ones and gets injured. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. – you got Kavaris Crouch who was starting in the SEC. So, it's just – you always got to uh, you always gotta do your homework. And, yeah, right. like, I'm with Justin, though. Just, just Don't just assume because of the brand name or the high school recruiting profile that, that, it's a, that he's a star in the making. You know, that that's, there's, the, the, these deals run the whole gamut, the whole spectrum there. Yeah. Um, anything else we want to touch on here in these last uh, couple minutes that we have? Do we, uh, I see Mark Stoops reached an extension. Uh, so don't have time to dive into the whole, I guess, coaching carousel, but a lot of stuff happened. We'll keep an eye on if Michigan state goes after any of these guys at Notre Dame and, uh, and things of that nature, but nothing jumps out immediately just yet in that regard. But uh, I'm sure those schools will have some guys entering the portal. We'll have the latest on that at Spartan tailgate. And um, I guess uh, no surprise that over there at Kentucky. So there's no rumblings about, Oh, is, is Vince Morrow going to leave? Is Kante Goodwin going to decommit? So that'll be the same battle that it always was. And uh, we'll see what happens there December 10th when Goodwin visits East Lansing, but anything you guys want to add here? Uh, no, just- it's just nice. Uh, I guess for us, like it, it is fun to, cover the coaching carousel but it's kind of nice to know that Michigan State was able to take care of their guy and avoid all of the madness that you're seeing all over the country yeah, yeah it's just uh it's 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 crazy how fast Mel Tucker's deal has become like an afterthought <laughs> you know and just like a secondary deal I mean for a while it was like wow the talk of college football and then uh, not even a week later it's like uh oh yeah man they, they signed Mel Tucker to that deal huh okay yeah, yeah but exactly. look what's going on over here you know it's yeah. just this thing is and he, I mean, that deal, you know, got some other people paid, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, I think that's a fair uh, connection to make is that some yeah. of these numbers and some of these deals we're seeing in the last 48, 72 hours, I would think uh, have some type of, you know, uh, shared DNA with, with the, with the paperwork that Mel Tucker signed last yeah. week uh, before Thanksgiving. So I think, it's just yeah. crazy how fast and, and how soon Mel Tucker making 9.5 million a year, how soon that might not be this eye popping number. I mean, in two years, that might be like, bottom of the top 10 out of the top 10 nationally i mean that's not inconceivable and that really is mind-blowing yeah for sure but thanks for joining us guys uh we'll have some more coverage uh next week for signing day uh stay subscribed uh stay checking out our content and we'll see you guys next time